The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let the church of Jesus Christ say. The Easter drum continues to beat for us Christians. I mean, it's only the third week of Easter. It's only the third week since we gathered here on Easter Sunday amid flowers and trumpets and choirs to proclaim Jesus' resurrection to one another. For us in the faith, Easter is not a solitary Sunday, but a seven-week season of Sundays, stretching out nearly 50 days, a time bridging the gap between Easter Sunday and Pentecost Sunday, each week being another opportunity for us to announce to one another, Christ is risen. In really any time Christians gather on the first day of the week, it's a little mini Easter for us. It's our little weekly ritual of reminding one another that Jesus has been raised from the dead and is alive forever. So happy Easter, church. We're still just getting started with our celebration of resurrection. Today's gospel reading takes us to several locations, but dwells on a singular theme. A road leading away from Jerusalem, a house in the village of Emmaus, a rented room in Jerusalem. Today's reading from the Gospel of Luke is all about perception, vision, seeing, noticing. So in light of this, church, I want to start today's sermon by testing your perception. It's a simple test, but bear with me. Uh, this test, I should just note, is loosely based on a perception test run in the late 1990s by a psychologist at the University of Illinois named Dan Simons. And it's quite simple. I'm going to show you a 20-second video clip. In the video, you're going to see two basketball teams, one dressed in white and one dressed in black. Your job is to count the number of times the team dressed in white passes the ball. Okay? That's it. That's all you have to do. But look, 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 look. I want you to take this job seriously, church. I mean, as seriously as you normally take it when I ask you to count basketball passes during a sermon. Team in white jerseys, count the number of passes. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Pay attention. Okay, how many? Say it out loud. Resist your inner Presbyterian. Say it out loud. How many? Thirteen. If you, well, I don't want to. I don't want to break anyone's heart here today. But the answer is thirteen. If you said thirteen, well done, gold star. But I've got to ask you. Whether you counted twelve, thirteen, fourteen, or fifteen, did you see the moonwalking bear? You saw it, Eli, because you've seen it before. Did you see it? Did you see the moonwalking bear? Okay, look, I'm going to show you the same clip again. I promise you it's the same clip. I promise you you weren't seeing things, but I want you to see if you notice it this time. And this time, don't pay attention to the teams passing the ball. You ready? Josh, run it one more time.
Did you see it? <laughs> of course you did. I told you to know to look for it. Uh, I, I told you what to look for, and you saw it. Just like when I said count the number of teens, your focus, your perception was fixated on that. Uh, you might be wondering is how on earth did you miss the bear the first time? Now, this, ad, this clip is actually from an ad campaign from the British government trying to warn motorists to watch out for bicyclists on the road. After many accidents and fatalities because drivers weren't paying attention and changed lanes and cut off cyclists, the government wanted to spread the word about perception and vision. And after showing the clip, the end of the ad was just a simple phrase. It's easy to miss something you're not looking for. Our gospel story today is about two disciples who miss something that they aren't looking for. They cannot imagine meeting a risen Jesus. And so even when the risen Jesus walks with them, their eyes are unable to perceive him. More on that in a minute. The scene in our gospel text is set on Easter Sunday in the late afternoon, early evening. Two distraught disciples, one named Cleopas and the other unnamed in the gospel of Luke, though, in case you're looking to test your Luke trivia at pub night, uh, many scholars believe his unnamed companion was in fact Cleopas's wife named Mary. So there you go. That's a freebie. They're probably walking to their hometown of Emmaus, which is about seven miles away from Jerusalem. The trip would have only taken a couple hours by foot, but I imagine they were eager to put some distance between them and Jerusalem. It had been a hellish weekend for these two. The man that they knew and followed, Jesus of Nazareth, the one they believed to be God's chosen one, God's anointed one, had been put to death in the most publicly shameful way possible. And all of their hopes, all of their vision for this kingdom Jesus was going to usher in had been crushed. With Jesus' death came the fear that the Romans might also start rounding up his followers to execute them also. Those who followed Jesus, you'll recall, huddled in a room and locked the doors. Uh, others uh, fled the city, like these two today, looking for a safer place to be. They start walking. And as they traveled, the text tells us, Jesus joins them, the risen Christ, alive, disguised as a traveler, walks alongside them. The text says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. In this reading from the Gospel of Luke, language about vision and seeing and recognition is used repeatedly throughout, which tells me that this story is about many things, but it is ultimately about what it means for us to learn how to see Jesus in places we did not expect him to arrive. Like Mary weeping at the tomb in the Gospel of John, these two were so caught up in their present trials and pains that they were unable to even consider the fact that this traveling companion in their midst was in fact the risen Jesus. But despite all this, Jesus joins them. He walks with them. He talks to them. He asks them questions. He listens to their hopes and fears. Jesus ultimately teaches them, correcting their understanding of Scripture, opening their minds to understand what 
the scripture says. And when it looked like Jesus was going to go on, he sits down instead at a table with them and breaks bread. And then, immediately, their eyes were opened and they recognized that it is the Lord. And then Jesus disappears. And the disciples run back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples that Jesus appeared to them in the breaking of the bread and to tell them what happened on the road. And everyone rejoices, for it is true. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. What is this story about? I mean, why is this story remembered in Luke's gospel? Why? What does this story tell us about church and life and faith and God and Jesus? And to me, church, this story is really an extended metaphor of what it means to be part of the Christian community. The journey of the two disciples to Emmaus is symbolic of our life together as a church in downtown Flint. We, like they, are on a journey. We're people moving in a direction together. That there were two disciples and not just one reminds us that we cannot go on this road alone. We need each other. We need to travel alongside one another. Like those two disciples on this journey, we bring along all of our hopes and fears. We voice to one another our worries and our anguish. And there, walking alongside us, hidden often in the garb of fellow travelers, is the risen Christ. He, he listens to us as we pray and sing. He opens our mind to understand the scriptures. He talks to us through the, pa- the words of the Bible. He shows us He teaches us in the words of a sermon. He shows us how he is hidden in not just the scriptures we think, but in all the scriptures. And just when it looks like our faith is merely an abstract, cognitive thing, Jesus sits down at a table, breaks bread, and feeds us, opening our eyes to the reality that he has always been with us. And just when we think we've got a handle on what that means, just when we think we catch sight of him, he disappears and we're left to go and tell only what we've seen. And like those two disciples, we run and tell everyone that we've seen the Lord. We spread the good news. This gospel story is the story of the church told in narrative form. It's our story. Whenever we gather together to read scripture and sing hymns and break bread and so forth, we we believe that the presence of Christ is here with us. Just like on that road to Emmaus, Jesus overtakes us on our journey. Jesus meets us here in our grief. He corrects our misunderstandings of God. He puts a fire in our hearts. He, He breaks bread, giving us his peace. So many times this happens, and we just don't notice it because we're busy counting the passes the basketball team makes. We don't stop to notice how Jesus is presently at work right now in this church at this moment. Week after week, I believe that we are afforded an opportunity for our lives to be fundamentally reoriented. Here in this place, we learn to see Christ in other places, places outside of these sanctuary walls. Here we practice looking for Jesus in obvious ways so that we might see him out there in the rather unobvious spaces. Around the table with our friends, putting our kids to bed, taking a walk in the crisp spring morning, visiting a friend in the hospital who is sick. Here we learn how to see the presence of the risen Christ so that we might learn to find him more out there. 
I'm reminded of the conclusion of the novel The Voyage of the Dawn Treader by C.S. Lewis. In the book, two children are being told by uh, the, the lion Aslan, the great lion, the ruler of a magical land called Narnia, that they would not be able to come back to this magical world any longer. Instead, they're told that they have to go back now to the human world. And the children protest. Here's the exchange. It isn't Narnia, you know, sobbed Lucy. It's you. We won't meet you in our world, and how can we live never meeting you? But you shall meet me, dear one, said Aslan. Are you in our world too, sir? said Edmund. I am, said Aslan, but there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the reason why you were brought to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me better in your world. Like these two children here in worship every Sunday, we gather in a fantastic world to know Jesus here so that we might learn how to see him better out there in the places where most of our lives are spent. It's about perception. It's about noticing something we did not notice before. Here in the worship, we, ca we catch an Emmaus Road glimpse of the risen Christ. We allow it to open up our eyes and stir up our imaginations to follow it out to our offices and to our homes, to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our friends, even to our enemies, to begin noticing Christ in the people and places we formerly ignored. Church, in here, we meet Jesus so we can go find him again in our daily lives. In the year 1993, a 10-year-old boy sat on his bed quietly fuming. He did not want to go to church. It's boring, and it lasts forever, the 10-year-old complained. My friends are on vacation, and they won't even be there. Can't we just stay home? His sister, the diplomat, tries to convince him to leave the room, but he just glares at her. His mother, with gentle firmness, tries to explain that, yes, he's going, but the ten-year-old just ignores her. His father, exhausted from trying to convince the ironclad will of this ten-year-old, simply yells from the bottom of the stairs, now! So the boy got up, went down the stairs, dragging behind him all of his annoyance, all of his frustration, and wrapping himself up in them like a blanket, during the 15-minute ride to church. And if on that day, if on that day you told 10-year-old Joey Novak, sitting in that 1987 Dodge Caravan, staring out his window mournfully, that three decades later, he would be a full-time minister of word and sacrament in the Presbyterian Church, I don't think he would have believed you. Many of you know I grew up in a Baptist church in the days when Baptist churches had Sunday services in the morning and Sunday services at night. We had Wednesday prayer services. We had Wednesday night youth group. We had Tuesday Bible studies. We had Saturday service projects. And my family went to everything. A comedian once summarized my young church life by saying if the preacher was going to wash the windows on Thursday, we filled our pew and we watched him do it. Early on, I remember asking my parents why. I wanted to know why 
we went to church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday nights. And here are some of the answers I remember in no particular order. The Bible tells us to. Our family goes to church. Mom is working in the nursery. We like the music. Our friends are there. Habit, and every parent's favorite reason, because. I remember resigning myself to the fact that the Novak family was going to be there at church no matter what, but the question of why still lingered in my young mind. I mean, why church? Why not a million other places to do good things for the world? Why church? The question would lead me first to a university program studying Bible and ministry. It would lead me to a seminary studying worship, theology, and the arts. It would lead me into an ordination path in the Presbyterian Church USA. It would lead me into a PhD program studying Christian worship. I, I can safely tell you, church, that one of the major reasons I am here in this pulpit and preaching this morning is because the 10-year-old Joey wanted to know why we go to church, and the question has not left my mind. Why are we here? For me, the most satisfying answer, the most satisfying answer may seem to you to be a bit trite and silly, but this, for me, has been the holy grail of my quest why do we go to church? We go to church to meet Jesus. Full stop. We, we go to church to meet Jesus, not out of guilt, not only out of tradition or habit, not only because we like the music or our friends are there. All of these things are on the periphery. We, get, we come to worship because we believe that in worship, in the liturgy, we get to meet Jesus as a people. In the singing, in the lessons, in the preaching, in the sacramental acts, in the confession of sin, in the assurance of pardon, in the prayers, in the benediction, in the choral anthem, in the offering, in all of it, Jesus meets us here on our journey to wherever it is that we are going. For like those children in Narnia, we too have gathered here in a fantastical world, a world where bread and wine are called a feast where simple hymns have the power to open the doors into the heavenly realms, where half-hearted prayers can become deep and personal exchanges with God, where the meandering speech of a preacher is transmuted into a sacred vessel bearing the very word of God, where all the wounded and hurting people who gather here are declared to be children in God's household, members of one family. This is a strange world. But here we are. We've gathered here again on this third Sunday of Easter to know Christ a little more so that we might know him all the better in our daily lives. I'm glad you're here, church. I'm glad that we are here, that we get to allow God's Spirit to open our eyes and widen our vision so that we might perceive what it means to walk with Christ here that we might sense him teaching us, guiding us, restoring us, blessing us, and sending us. And I, I pray that for each of us, we would know how to see that same Jesus in the world we inhabit out there, away from these walls and pews and liturgies. Church, let us meet the risen Christ now, that we might see him in the world out there. I speak to you in the name of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let the Church of Jesus Christ say. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. 
You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.